All right. Welcome to the vineyard. We're glad you're with us on a Wednesday night. We had, uh, hang on a minute, that's loud. I'm going to fix that, I think. Hello. There we are. Check. That's better. So we, um, we totally re, not me, but there's been three or four of them working since Monday. The sound system's totally being redone and they're still working on it. And so when you heard the, if you heard the guitar go nuts, they just grabbed something off. To have it. It's a, it's a big job, but everything's new. All the equipment's new. All the cables are new. Everything's new and run. So, uh, they'll be, they'll be dialing it in. But you know, the technology and stuff. So like, the soundboards we have now, there's not actually any knobs on it or anything. Uh, it's just a piece of equipment in the back, and you run it from iPads. So um, we've been doing that before, but I, they actually still had the knobs and everything. We got rid of all those, and now it's just fascinating how things change over time. But anyway, if you hear a little squeak or feedback or something pop, it's just just a little change going on. And that's okay. Announcements. Um, this Friday, it's Unbroken Path to Redemption. That's the second part of that movie. So I've heard it's very good. I haven't seen it. Free movie, free popcorn, 630. Um, Easter VBS is coming up April 12th. That's on a Friday night for children ages 3 through 11. So if you know any kids, get them signed up. If you can volunteer, uh, there's some sign-up sheets for that, too. That would be great. Uh, pretty much everything else is happening the way it's supposed to, so... That's what's going on with that. Let me move over here. Good. We um, we have a Bible Institute that we do on Wednesday nights. And uh, our Bible Institute is uh, actually has 700 and... No, six... Is it seven? Yeah, 787 students as of this morning. Um, students from all over the world, pretty cool. They sign up and get involved. Um, we award degrees, associates and bachelor's degrees in ministry, and um, they're all free. So there's not many places doing that. So anytime that you want to get involved, you can. You're here on Wednesdays, and you can, uh, you can certainly sit on these classes and take them. If you want to take them as actual courses, you can register at the Bible Institute. And uh, all of our Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings now are being wrapped into courses. There's also a hundred and 15 or 16 courses online that you can take. They're all free. A wide spectrum of uh, things that you can learn from. I'd, I'd encourage you to do it. And uh, just it's always good for us to be learning and growing and studying and taking these things in throughout the course of our lives. So we're doing uh, right now on Wednesday nights a study on the epistles of Paul. And we're working through the epistles that Paul wrote. Paul wrote 13 epistles. We are into 2 Corinthians now. Uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul wrote sometime around A.D. 55 to 57, we believe. And um, Paul had started the church in Corinth in A.D. 52. And um, he's writing back to them again. We, we looked at 1 Corinthians, which was the first letter he wrote back to them. Um, um, and then... Uh, he did some things and some more questions have uh, happened since then. You remember, the church is a brand new thing. 
back then, and so they didn't know exactly how to do and handle certain situations. Uh, the Corinthian church was certainly an interesting church. It was uh, a very um, a gifted church, but uh, they had a lot of issues, like all of us do. Paul was having to address those, and, uh, and so he, t- he tackles another load of subjects here in Second Corinthians. So we're going to look at some verses together, and I'll talk about them, and, and then we'll uh, press on from there. So Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, these are some of my favorites. I say that about every verse that I read, so it's okay. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So Paul's writing about troubles that we will all face living in a fallen world on a broken planet. He also reminds us that God is with us and God comforts us as we go through the hard things in life. Paul actually mentions um, troubles, pressures, distresses, hardships nine times in Second Corinthians. And uh, he, he uses this thing to help us sort of um, understand the, the difference between the temporary and the eternal that there's a difference between the two. And we can get very focused on the temporary and we, we miss the eternal. Uh, and, and yet we live in a tension. We talk about that tension here all the time between the now and the not yet. So we need to understand that tension and, and know that um, what's coming is, by, you know, is amazing. Uh, and sometimes now we'll still go through some difficult situations. This, however, is still the absolute best life that you can have. Uh, this side of heaven is this life with Jesus. But um, when we're going through difficult things, he'll comfort us. He encourages us. That's part of what he does. And this comfort is not just for us. Paul tells it we're to use it for others as well. This comfort is to extend from God through us so that we can comfort other people going through difficult situations. If you were here some years ago, I did a, a pretty long series, and I called it the Ministry of Encouragement. And I said that we, we need to be ready to encourage people. And that one of the things that God will often do is um, he'll use the difficult things we've gone through to allow us to help others. Because uh, sometimes going through a difficult thing doesn't make any sense to you at all. And I, and I get that, and it, and it doesn't. And yet, on the other side of it, and God sees us through those things, often we'll end up in situations with people who are going through something that we experienced. And we can help them in it just by being someone that listens well, um, you know, by knowing how to pray, by, by being able to, to do those things that matter. And so that's a significant part of what happens and how, that, how God sort of uses the hard stuff. We talk about that all the time, being part of his story, that God even takes the hard stuff and uses it. And so sometimes when we've been through hard things and it's difficult going through and we, we don't understand it, but then at some point maybe we get the opportunity to help other people going through that situation. And somehow that sort of redeems the hard stuff um, to me, that uh, when, you can, when you can help somebody else going through it, it makes a difference. Well, then Second uh, Corinthians 3... Oh, this is cool. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, what he's doing is he's making a, a comparison between the Old and the, the New Covenant. And um, he compares and contrasts sort of his ministry and the ministry that Moses had. Um, because the Corinthians were sort of complainers, as were the people of Israel. And, uh, and so he, he makes some interesting comparisons 
between the two. And he talks about the old covenant sort of um, has a fading glory that can't be compared to the splendor of the new covenant and what we have. Uh, and so in Second Corinthians three, twelve through 13, he says this, Therefore, uh, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So if, you, if you're not uh, familiar with that story, I know some of you have been through a lot of the Old Testament study with me, but um, there was a time when Moses would communicate with God, and he would sort of be away when that happened, and when he would come back among the Israelites, he'd actually be glowing, um, like radiating, um, and and... It was a very effective way of getting the Israelites to listen to what was going on because they could tell that something had happened to Moses, that, that he looked different. And so they would, they would sort of be a little more um, willing to follow after the Lord instead of doing all the complaining. But um, over time, that, that glory would fade, and then they would actually stop listening to him. So what Moses started to do was put a veil over his face so you couldn't tell when the glory had faded. And uh, that, that's actually what's going on. And he would walk around with his veil so they couldn't tell if he was radiating or not. And they just had to assume that he was. Well, Paul takes that and then he, he says this, Second Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is, is he's, not, he's not hiding behind any veil, and neither do we need to do that. Um, we need to live this life and allow people just to see Jesus where we're at and, and to see the Jesus that's in us. And... and um, Jesus isn't seen in us by how together we act like we are. Um, he, he's seen in us by how he's working in us um, in the spirit, in, in our mess and brokenness. He, that's where people see Jesus. The, the, sometimes we get confused and we think that we need to pretend to be somewhere that we're not. And, and that's how we end up acting sort of hypocritical. Um, we need to be as honest and transparent as we can be. That's where people see Jesus. That doesn't mean we're, you know, we highlight our messes. I just, it just means we don't have to pretend. We, we don't need to put masks on when we get together. We just need to be as real as we can be. People that love Jesus and are, are desperately living by trying to do the next right thing and sometimes falling short. Not excusing that. We've had those discussions. You know, the grace of God doesn't mean we should go out and do whatever we feel like if, if that's what you think you've missed it. But the reality is that we're in process and, and um, that we miss it sometimes, that we, that's, that's honest. You know, there are times when I, I just completely miss it. I always tease about my driving because it's so apparent to me how quickly I miss it when I'm driving uh, and, and how constantly I try and work on it. But you get that, that you know, that's, that's the reality. Anybody here ever struggle when they drive with other people driving? I was I was I was down in Key West this week and uh, but, but I did okay. <laughs> there were times when I was falling a little short, but you get it. Well, it's the same way. So we need to be people that um, you, people need to know that that we still struggle. That it's the it's the life that we have. 
it's the best life that you can have. But it's, you know, it's, it's still, we're still going through difficulties. And, and uh, so Paul was, you know, Paul was very open about his weaknesses. And, uh, and as he talked about them, though, he was reeling the power of Jesus who was at work within him. That's what we need to understand in the process. Fourth chapter. Uh, I started to talk about the, the, uh, the temporal and the eternal and the difference in those things. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.18, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so, again, he's, he's emphasizing the idea that we need to grasp that, that, that um, we, we sometimes get so fixed on what we can see that we miss the bigger picture. And, and, uh, and so we have a tendency, you know, things that we can touch, and th- these are more real to us than and eternal things, but the eternal things are far more real than these things, and, and we have to sort of get our mind around that and grasp that. Like, one of my favorite stories about that is there's an encounter where uh, after the resurrection, Jesus comes in to uh, see the disciples, and he doesn't come through the door. It comes right through a wall, apparently. He just kind of goes, and they're all pretty amazed by that. As you can imagine, that would... But see, when we read that story, because of our mindset... So I think oftentimes what we think is that that somehow when Jesus was in that form, he was like almost ghost-like. That, that's our thought. You know, we all, not all of us, but a lot of us watched Casper the Friendly Ghost when we were kids. And uh, so we had this vision of that. And so we start making that spiritual, which seems a little less real to us. But the reality is when, when Jesus walked through the wall, he was just more real than the wall. It's, it's not less real. It's more real. It's... it's uh, it, it, there's something that, that we need to sort of get that handle on that it's more real, not less real. It's not ghost-like. It's more than. Um, so have you ever uh, seen a really, really dense fog that looked like, have you ever come up on it and it looked like it was solid and, and yet you went right through it because it was real, but you were more real than the fog, right? It's the same sort of thing. And I just think it's a good way to start thinking about the, the spiritual side of life. It's more real. It's not less real. It's more real. It's not ghost-like. It's more real. And so just because we can, we can feel these things that are temporal, um, they're not more real than the spiritual uh, world, world. So we need to understand that in our own lives so we don't get so stuck in the temporary that we miss the eternal. And we're also not there yet either. We're, we're in between, right? So we, we want to stay right where we need to be and... Uh, Follow Jesus. And then in Second Corinthians five, very important chapter. The first uh, ten verses or so, um, Paul really talks about now that since we live now and when it's difficult and it's hard sometimes, and we know what's waiting is better. There's a longing for us in that. And I, I in the years that I've been walking with the Lord and speaking with people about life, and sometimes where they they sort of get caught and stuck, is they don't recognize. That um, often deep down in your soul, when you're, when you're not quite settled, what you're experiencing is a longing for heaven. And, and a lot of people, they, they sense it, and then they start thinking that they need to fix it. Oh, well, you know, there's, this, there's something not quite right, and I need to fix it, because that's what we do. But the reality is, there's always going to be a longing for heaven inside of you once you're a believer. Because you know that there's something better. And... and uh, so it's not a matter of fixing it. It's just a matter of understanding it and then not letting that sort of 
put you in a spot. I've seen a lot of people get really sort of in very bad places because they think, well, there's something that's there. And I I just, yes, there is something there. You have a longing for heaven. And and that's that's a very, actually, it's a very good thing. When you can sort of think about it as being a good thing, um, it, it takes away the power it has in trying to, to steal life from you. So what people would do with that longing is they'll try and fix it with things that are empty. And so they turn to temporary fixes. I don't need to go in depth about those. You know what those look like. People feel, and they, they just try and fix it. They, they try and self-medicate. They try and do all sorts of things because they don't, they don't want to stop long enough to feel the emptiness. Sometimes they'll just get really busy. And just think, I'm, I'm just going to power through. But the reality is, it's not something you need to be afraid of. You can you can rest with God in it. Just know it's part of the part of the journey. That that this side of heaven, there's always a we get that we're missing what's coming. So once you get that, then you can really enjoy this side a whole lot better, because you know what's coming is so much better. But then it allows you to sort of get in and enjoy what's going on here instead of trying to turn to things to try and fix that in the process. And so I think once you get a hold of that, because if you're, if you're busy, so think about this. So a lot of people spend a lot of energy. None of you, I'm just speaking to the internet now. Uh, A lot of you spend a lot of energy trying to get everything in your world ordered and set up, right? It's honest. We're always trying to get it, and we, if we could just get this and this and this done, then we're gonna, everything's going to be much, much better. We're just going to get this done, oh, and then we're going to get this done, and then everything's going to be really good. There's a couple of problems with that. It's, have you ever thought, well, I just once I sort of turn this corner, I'm going to be good, and then you turn the corner, and it's worse than the street you were on? Um, there's that. And the other thing is, when you're busy trying to get all your, everything lined up, you have this thought, and this is what's going to happen, anything that stops that from happening becomes like this, you know, such a wave of discouragement comes from that. Uh, and it feels like such a personal attack. It'll just make you go almost crazy when something happens. Like, how, not another thing. And, and yet, uh, if, we, if we can sort of step back from it and just go, you know, this is the, the process of fallen world, broken planet stuff. God's going to help me through it, and I need to rest in that. And it's never going to get, it's never, I'm never going to be able to completely fix that. Um, only Jesus can. And so rather than trying to fix it in the temporary, what the reality is then, you just need to get closer to Jesus. You just need to connect and spend time. It's way more impactful to spend time connecting to him than it is trying to fix all the mess. But there's a balance. You can't not do things. You've got to do things. I mean, I have, I have a list of things to do at my house that's never ending. And, uh, but I'll get to them when I get to them. And, and uh, it's okay. And the same thing, you know, here, we always have stuff here like, like this. The sound system was working perfectly. Why are you changing it? <laughs> there's more things we want to do. And so you have to dig in, and then there's going to be issues along the way, and it's okay. So there's always things, but you just can't let them get you down or overtake you. So you sort of watch, um, you know, what you're looking at and how it's going. And, and when you, this, so this life's just not as good as it gets. It's as good as it can get for now, but it's not as good as it will get and and we don't have to fix everything. We live for him and then trust him to take care of things. The back half of Second Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, I'm going to read you because it's actually where we get our mission. So these are very important verses to us. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again. 
but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So um, lots of our mission is wrapped up in there. You know, our mission is one more. One more lost child back to dead. We have the, the, in that verse, he tells us about the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5.21 is, is sort of at the heart of all these things to me. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And uh, so most of you will know that 5.21 thing because we do it all the time for other stuff. But be thankful for five things, encourage two people so we can get one lost child. It's, it's so you remember that verse somewhere, Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and part of being that is being people that, that carry the gospel and the good news to the world around us and live this life um, you know, for him in, instead of just for ourselves. And so that's all part of it. And um, so that mission to us is very important. One more, it's what what guides us and what keeps us on track and it's what we feel called to it's why we do what we do and uh, you know it, it it's a it's a pretty encompassing mission and yet at the same time knowing what we're called to um, helps us to realize that we can't do everything and um, that's okay too so so we really focus on being a group that that tries to help people come to know Jesus um, certainly we have aspects of, of making disciples and doing all the other things. That's all part of the process. But a lot of what we do is, is trying to get people in to make that connection because we, we feel like that's what we're called to. We're trying to get one more lost child back to dad. And then, you know, together we, we do the rest of it. But that's at the heart of many of the things that we're doing. And so when you when you see things being added or changed around here, people go, why, why are you doing that? I, I, I need, I feel like part of our mission is to create an atmosphere that allows for people who don't yet know Jesus to come and, and uh, get to know him and, and over time. And so um, we do a lot of things that, that bring people around. And then we preach the gospel week in, week out, over and over and over and over. Uh, we do a lot of other things as well. But that's all part of it because we're trying to get people to make that connection. It's what we feel called to. Second Corinthians 6 um, Sometimes loving well means we, we can't get everything or do everything that we want. Second uh, Corinthians 6, 8 through 13, he starts talking about what he's gone through for the Corinthians, Paul does. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters known, yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on. 
Beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing and yet possessing everything, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. And so this idea of loving well has to do with just that, opening our hearts and loving folks. And, and uh, as we uh, you know, experience the love of God, we're to love others well on this journey. He talks in Second Corinthians 7 about repentance. Uh, verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And so um, he's talking about there. Uh, you know, they had an issue and when he wrote 1 Corinthians with somebody that was way out of line and Paul said, you've got to address it. And so they, they asked him to leave, the person that was causing the issues. And then, uh, stronger than that, but you get the idea. And then he actually repented and changed and they wouldn't let him back in. And uh, Paul said, no, that, now you've taken it too far. He said the whole idea of drawing a boundary, which is what they did, was that, that people will see that boundary and they'll repent. Um, and to repent means to change. It means to do something different. Um, and, and, and the godly sorrow he's talking about is when we, when we realize that what we're doing is not okay and we, we ask God to help us change completely from that. That's repentance. Repentance isn't saying sorry um, if you're not sorry and you're not going to change. That's just words. Repentance is is a change that's you know been affected in you because you realize that what you've done isn't okay, uh, and you know that's it's that kind of repentance that restores relationships. Um, we have issues a lot of times because as believers, people say that we're supposed to forgive, which we are, and then they'll throw this one at you next, which is for, oh, you're supposed to forgive and forget. Well, that's really not biblical. You're supposed to forgive. Only God has the capacity to forget like that. Because um, uh, you, know, you know that to be true, right? Have you ever tried to forget something? The more you try to forget it, you know what you do? You remember it even harder. So it's not what God's saying. So what we're supposed to do is be, we're supposed to forgive. And, and when we forgive, we're allowing a situation to be given back to God. The, the, the person that we're forgiving, if someone is offended, and I'm talking about big offenses, not little offenses, big offenses, if someone has offended us in a major way and they don't repent, then we, we keep a boundary in place that keeps them from allowing to do us again. That doesn't mean that we're not forgiving. It just means that, that, that you, you haven't changed and I'm not going to let you do the same thing to me again. Um, and, and, and yet, if, if someone repents, if they're, they're really sad about that situation and they change with the help of God, then, then there's hope that a... Um, a relationship can be restored. But if someone is pushing you to have a relationship restored, um, then they're just trying to circumvent the process and don't. If someone's saying, well, you're supposed to forgive me, I already have forgiven you, but you don't trust me, I do not. Well, well, can you trust me? You're going to have to see. Not in a mean way, it's just a process. And, and if somebody really, somebody who really wants to earn your trust, who wants to do it, will. Because they'll demonstrate over time that that's what they really want. It's a godly thing. People who just sort of want everything back the way it was without change, then that's, that's, not, that's a totally different thing. And so we need to understand the difference. Second Corinthians 9, oh, Paul talks about sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. 
And that's a very significant kingdom of God principle. Uh, too often, people want to make that all about money. And, um, uh, you know, uh, kingdom of God principles about money are certainly good. And we're supposed to be giving and not holding too tightly on the things and not being afraid. But um, sowing and reaping extends into all areas of life. And it's there as a mercy of God. And so um, if you're sowing in ways um, in your life that aren't good for you, there should be some consequences that come with it so that you don't continue to do those things. Are you all, you catch me with that? So if you do something that you shouldn't, there should be a consequence. Okay. What a lot of people try and find is they, 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 trying to, they try and arrange their relationships so that they, they're sowing into doing something they shouldn't, and other people are reaping those consequences for them. And, and it's, it keeps everybody unhealthy. And, and that happens a lot. And so someone is acting a certain way, and yet somebody keeps stepping in and taking those consequences from them. Well, they never have to change. And so they, they never get the issue. They never get to the spot where they need to change because other people are, are, are doing all the, they're reaping all the consequences. And sometimes people come to me and they'll say, well, uh, so I've had families come to me with, a, with someone in the family causing an issue. And they'll come to me and they'll say, we need some help working through this. And I'll say, okay, we'll start to talk. And, and almost always the one who's causing the problems won't be there in the meeting because they think it's not their problem. And, and I, it takes a while to convince people that, that you have to say, well, so that's the problems you see it. The, the, the person causing the issues isn't even here. And so I, I usually tell them, here's what you need to do um, when their actions have consequences coming. Get out of the way. And they look at it like they're shocked. I'm like, just get out of the way. The consequences, they'll never, they'll never change if there's not consequences. The, the, the only time, for, even for us, God in his mercy still allows, he set it up. So, and you'll know it to be true. If you're doing something repeatedly you shouldn't be doing, I, I, I say there's levels of mercy. There's, a, there's this n- n- mercy that comes that, that I, I love to call it the tender mercy of God, where he says you probably shouldn't be doing that. And, and if you respond to that, good. If you don't respond to that, another level of mercy comes that you can't sort of ignore because there's a, <laughs> your life is about to fall apart. You know, it gets your attention. So, so over time, we learn to respond to the tender mercies. But we've learned to respond to the consequence in a way that makes sense. The big difference in that is that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. So he took that consequence on. That's, a, that's the life changer or none of this would matter. So he did do that for us. But uh, we need to understand this concept of reaping and sowing in the kingdom, uh, sowing and reaping. And so if you're, if, you're, if you're sowing in the things that you should be doing, basically you should reap the, the benefits of that. Fallen world, broken planet doesn't mean you always get it. Don't, don't take it to that extreme. But if you're, if you're not doing what you should be doing, there's consequences that come with that. And if you're taking on other people's consequences, you just be aware of that and uh, don't let it happen. So there you go. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's enough. I've, I can talk for a long time, but I'm going to stop there. I could just keep going and going. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come visit us when you can.